0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Dennis Prager Show. But of course, you're not listening to Dennis Prager at this very moment. You're listening to the executive producer of the Dennis Prager Show, Alan Estrin. That's me. And Dennis is late today for a very good reason. He is taping a long interview with Megan Kelly for her podcast. Every once in a while, once in a blue moon. He'll be a little bit late. This is one of those blue moon situations, but it gives us an, uh, an opportunity we don't normally have, and that is to replay a, a segment from the show earlier in the week. And I, I want to explain something about me and my relationship to Dennis. As the producer of the show, I have certain responsibilities, obviously, but I want you all to know that I, like all of you, am a fan. And I hear things on the show. I'm constantly amazed by what Dennis says, by his analysis. And this is, this is one of those times. So I'm actually happy that we get to replay this segment, which is an interview that – it's not an interview. The interview was between Bill Maher and Nicholas Kristof on Bill Maher's show last Friday. And Dennis and we played the clip, and Dennis analyzed this interview and that's what we're going to play now, so I'm going to turn it over to Sean, who's going to cue the the clip, and you're going to hear Dennis at his very best. If you heard it, you'll want to hear it again, and if you haven't heard it, you do not want to miss this. Sean
3: a long history with Bill Maher. I used to be on the show regularly, then he went to Friday night. I don't broadcast on my Sabbath. But when it's before sunset on Friday, I, I can do it. So I, I was on a show last October. Not last October. The October right before the lockdown. And I don't agree with him on most issues, nor he with, uh, with me. But I remember that I, when he was fired, I think it was ABC for making some ugly comment about american fighter pilots i i, I defended his uh, free speech said he shouldn't be fired had him on the show in fact anyway I go away I, I go a long way back with him to his credit he says things more more often right now than ever before that are anti left so I give, him, I give him a great deal of credit for the courage to do that. And nothing irks the left more than defending Israel. Isn't that interesting? Statement about the left. So here is Bill Maher. Uh, what, what, uh, what night was this? On Friday night. He had Nicholas Kristof, a New York Times columnist, so nothing else needs to be said, uh, as one of his guests.
4: This was, after all, a war with Gaza. Uh, Thank God Israel treats its Arab citizens better than Egypt, Syria, or Saudi Arabia treat their Arab citizens. I didn't see much of that in the press, so I was glad to see you say it. Can you put some bones on that? Why do you say they treat their citizens better, their Arab citizens? So, uh,
2: I mean, I also said about. a lot more. <laughs> and clearly within Israel, then uh, Arab citizens uh, obviously vote. They can serve in the Knesset. Uh, they can be judges. Uh, the, some of the most robust organizations speaking up for Palestinians are... Organizations like Batelam, the human rights organization, uh, you know, it, it, that does not happen in Egypt, which obviously massacres Egyptians who support democracy. We've seen what happens in Syria,
3: but I would also say that you know, I made. By that the point way, before context, we I before, it, but I would also say. This is Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times. Did what he just described sound to you like an apartheid state? Did blacks serve as judges, vote freely, have parties in their parliament, etc.? It's another gigantic lie of the left that Israel is an apartheid state. See the PragerU video by a black member of the South African Parliament, who did live under apartheid and went to Israel to check if it's an apartheid state. And his reaction was, "How evil it is to." to cheapen the word apartheid. He suffered through it. But doesn't matter. They cheapen the word fascist on the left. There's nothing they don't. So I just thought, after all, all of the enumerations about how well things are, how good things are for Arab citizens of Israel, just remember the lie of it being an apartheid state. We continue. But I would also say that you know, I made that point for context.
2: I think it's important to understand that uh, that Israel at home truly is robust. But, you know, I don't think that's a defense for Israel uh, uh, engaging in possible war crimes in Gaza uh,
4: or uh, engaging... Well, Gaza in, fired 4,000 rockets into Israel. What would you say Israel should have done instead of what they did? Okay, so for that
3: alone, uh, Bill Maher should get the Nobel Peace Prize. That, that's that for that question alone. They said four thousand rockets to kill as many Israelis as possible. What should Israel have done? I don't even remember Nicholas Kristof's answer. So let's hear.
4: Four thousand rockets into Israel. What would you say Israel should have done instead of what they did? So how I mean, could I you content- not commit?
2: So- so, I mean, international lawyers are pretty clear that they have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to respond at at military targets, but there was a sense that the response uh, was probably a war crime because it did not sufficiently avoid civilian casualties. Uh, okay. and they purposely forced... put the rockets.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. It'll let Bill Maher say it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, likewise. Sufficiently avoid civilian casualties. Uh, but they and purposely not... put the rockets in civilian places. <laughs> That's their yeah. Strategy. Well, likewise,
3: Israel's Defense Ministry is in a civilian okay, area. Okay, I mean, this is mostly. a lie. Uh, this is this is a a, a phony point by Nicholas Kristof. Of course, its administration is in it. Is in a civilian place. I visited it. It's in Tel Aviv. That's not where its military is. That's where the that's where the bureaucrats are. That's like saying that the, the the Department of Defense is in a mil, is in a civilian area. Of course, it is. But we don't have military bases in the middle of hospitals. We don't keep anti-aircraft batteries on schools. They do in Gaza. Kristoff is just basically non-committed to truth in this response. Oh, Israel does the same thing. Israel does not do the same thing. But he works for the New York Times. I don't expect
2: better. ...industry is in a civilian area. I mean, both sides do this, partly because they're crowded countries. I do think that Hamas particularly does this, and I think that's war crime in the part of Hamas. And clearly, Hamas is engaging in war crimes when it tells War is a crime. I, I mean, it seems
4: like a silly argument when people go to war. I mean, there are certain things that are beyond the pale. This seems like, I mean, it was a normal war. People die in war. It's a horrible thing. But... Uh, but I mean, there, we have developed laws of war
2: precisely to restrain the inhumanity of war. We don't allow chemical weapons. But and I don't, we don't know how else you uh, respond civilians.
4: to when you have four. I mean, what if Canada <laughs> fired four thousand rockets into America or Mexico, where which is an even better analogy because we actually did steal the land from Mexico. Uh, I would submit that Israel did not steal anybody's land. This is another thing I've heard the last couple of weeks, words like occupiers and colonizers and apartheid, which I don't think people understand the history there.
3: This Bill Maher dialogue with Nicholas Kristof, columnist, New York Times, is precious. And I salute Bill Maher. I really do. But he, he is taken on the left frequently now. I, I hope to go back on the show this year, and if I have the chance, I will ask him Has he rethought the danger of the left, given uh, his, his realizations about the poison of wokeness? Anyway, on Israel, the guy has just it, it been remarkable. He's dealing now with this notion that Israel is stolen land. I'll have I'll have his comments in a moment. But I just want to review this notion. Israel committed war crimes, Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times says, by not targeting only military targets. But it's not possible to target military targets in Gaza because without civilian deaths because they put them among civilians. Incidentally, how many days was this war? 11? Something like 11 days. When one realizes how much Israel did and that it was about 200 fatalities. Do you realize how pinpoint... This only gets better. Targeting, So
0: stay with us. We're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. Bill Maher, Nicholas Kristof, Dennis Prager.
3: 800 500
0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Alan Estrin filling in for Dennis. But just very briefly, he's going to be here. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave your radio because Dennis will be in the studio shortly after this segment. But what we're doing is playing a great analysis that Dennis did of the interview between Bill Maher and Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times on the subject of Gaza versus Israel. We played that in the first segment. We're going to continue it right now.
3: When one realizes how much Israel did and that it was about 200 fatalities, do you realize how pinpoint? their targeting was in fact New York Times front page these children these dead children pictures of dead children front page New York Times caused the former head of the ADL who was a a big believer in the New York Times actually to cancel his subscription New York Times is a left-wing, well, the word I want to use, I won't use. It's a left-wing organ of the left. That's all it is. Um, We continue with Bill Maher on the issue of the Israelis
4: stole land and occupy it. The last couple of weeks, words like occupiers. And colonizers and apartheid, which I don't think people understand the history there. They're, they're, the Jews have been in that area of the world since about 1200 BC, way before the first Muslim or Arab walked the earth. A thousand years before. I mean, Jerusalem was their capital. Okay, I, so if it's just about who got there first, it's it's not even close. There have been a continuous Jewish presence. Yes. The, the Jews were the ones who were occupied by everybody. The Romans took over at some point, and then the Persians and the Byzantines and then the Ottomans. It's so, impressive yes, that he there knows was this. colonization going on there. Beginning in the twentieth, nineteenth century, they started to return to Palestine, which was not never an Arab country. There was never a country called Palestine that was a distinct many Arab people country. people know that and at Harvard? And, yes, there was a, a, a problem there because there was two people who wanted to share the land, which is why the UN in 1947 said, okay, we're going to partition it. Uh, we have the map. I want to show it. People forget what the map looks like. This is what was on the table at the beginning. The green is the part that the Arab population would have gotten. It's a good part of the country. It's the good part, a lot of it. Look what Israel has, a little sliver by the coast and the desert in the south. That second map is what Israel has today. Yes, it is a lot more. But doesn't it behoove the people who rejected the treat that the half a loaf and then continue attacked? Hamas's charter says they just want to wipe out Israel. Their negotiating position is you all die. But... Uh, I mean, there's a
2: difference between between, defending Hamas, which I agree commits war crimes. And I I would accept that... I think uh, too often in liberal circles there's been a tendency to elide the repression of Hamas, the uh, homophobia of Hamas, the misogyny of Hamas. But that also does not excuse Israel uh, ruling uh, Palestinians in the West Bank, for example, without giving them any vote, taking water and giving them to Wait, settlers. wait, wait. They
3: have a vote. He, the man isn't – he sounds like an idiot if you know anything about the Middle East. They vote for Palestinian leaders. They don't have a vote in Israel. What is he talking about? What, damn it, is he talking about? Nicholas Kristof is a well-intentioned idiot. I'm adding well-intentioned because I read him and have for years. The man is guided by no wisdom, no knowledge, but a big heart. And you know where good intentions get you without wisdom? to hell playing for you and we're almost done with uh, Bill Maher and his uh, absolute what is the word desiccation what does desiccation mean it's where you like rip apart no oh what does desiccate mean it's the first time in my career I've used the word I don't know except uh, for, for neftigent no, not desecrate. D E S S I C A T E. What is it? What, what is the definition? To, drain of emotional or intellectual vitality. to what? To drain of emotional or intellectual vitality. Oh, so he did desiccate him. He drained him of emotional and intellectual vitality.
0: That's yeah.
3: It was devastating. Okay, fine. That's correct. It was desiccating and devastating. <laughs> Desiccate. Thank you. Okay. Desiccate. We we allow everybody who works on this show their their moments of idiosyncrasy. That's fine. When Sean hears a new word, he wants to hear it three times from the computer. Why he does is a riddle to those of us who do not have a similar yearning. Okay, continue, please, with Bill Barr without giving them any vote, taking water and
2: giving it to settlers, and maybe most important, um, damaging any possibility down the road of creating a two-state solution. You know, how do we avoid... A war when somebody is shelling, some your neighbor is shelling you. That's hard. But what we can do is try to create a two-state solution 10 years from now. And the way you do that is you don't build up settlements right now in the West right. Bank. Okay. You don't
3: create this. So uh, we have a video, actually, on the settlements issue. was Alan Dershowitz, I think, right? My dear friends, before there was one settlement, the Palestinians, Arab, Muslims of the area negated Israel's right to exist. The settlements are as big a useful issue, built on nothing, as the insurrection of january sixth is. Oh, it's the insurrection. That's that's the that's the great danger to America, white supremacist revolution, right? That's the great danger to peace in the Middle East, settlements. Five times the Palestinians were offered a state, including in one case with Ehud Olmert, or was it Ehud Barak, I don't remember which one, where they would have Jerusalem as the capital of their state, and they turned it all down. You know why? Because they're much more interested in destroying Israel than in having a state. Israel left Gaza so what did the palestinians do they created a terror state out of gaza what if they would have been peaceful gaza would be blossoming today they spend all their money on missiles rockets and tunnels not on hospitals not on infrastructure not on schools i've come to an interesting conclusion in uh, in life many interesting conclusions I have a show and I write I offer you my conclusions. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you about an interesting supplement that has made a big deal in my life. I had the the pins and needles feeling in my feet. I've had it for about 25 years. It got quite intense. So among the things I did is I had inserts put in, which helped because it lifted the bone from the nerve. And I threw away the inserts last year after I started taking Nerve Renew. I read about Nerve Renew on the internet, and so I tried it out. And amazingly, after about a year, it doesn't happen overnight, I got rid of the inserts I had worn for 10 years. It's minimal, the uh, the pins and needles effect that I have. I'd like you to try it out. Go to NerveRenew.com. They offer a two-week trial of their product and a one-year money-back guarantee at NerveRenew.com or your two-week trial now. I asked them to advertise. That's how effective I think the product is. NerveRenew.com Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. And I want to thank Alan Estrin for doing his usual terrific job. I was, as it were, deliberately late. I wasn't caught in traffic or overslept. I was on a Megyn Kelly's podcast she's uh she's a serious person. It was a delight to talk to her for ninety minutes. I thought it would be an hour, but it turned out to be ninety minutes and I thought it was worth it. I want to get these ideas to as many people as possible and it also leads me to tell you of something new that i am uh, i am working on is this long form interview with no commercials. As part of the PragerTopia package, when you subscribe, it'll it's tentatively titled the PragerTopia interview, which took a lot of thought. Sort of like coming up with the name of the show, the Dennis Prager show. It took an immense amount of thought to come up with that one. Anyway, I will keep you abreast, but it it is uh, is a big deal. These abilities to have these long interviews. Right now, I am about to interview man who does a tremendous work on environmental issues, etc., has a very important book out, Green Fraud. Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. The man is Mark Morano. And Mr. Morano is a former senior staff member of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and publishes, which is, in my opinion, more important than that original identity, He is the publisher of ClimateDepot.com. All right, Mark Marano, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show.
1: Thank you, Dennis. I'm happy to be here today.
3: So the subheading of your title is, Why the New Deal, the Green New Deal, is even worse than you think. So do you think the average American is even aware of the Green New Deal?
1: Actually, the Green New Deal, because it was such a comically botched introduction and had the AOC as the face of it, it pretty well penetrated pop culture. So I think either, especially among young people on social media, either they love AOC and the Green New Deal or they make fun of it. So I think it's one of those polarizing issues. But because it had AOC and the whole farting cows fiasco and all that when they first released it in 2019 – it became quite a household name for a while, and I think people still remember it. One way or the other, I think it has better penetration than just about any other policy proposal on Capitol Hill.
3: I said, uh, as you probably heard prior to introducing you, I was on Megyn Kelly, and I said that to me, the giveaway that this is political and ideological rather than environmental is that these people do not support nuclear power. What is your take on that?
1: Yes. In fact, if you actually were worried about global warming and rising carbon dioxide, you would blame Jane Fonda because Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon's The China Syndrome movie in 1979 did more to scare the public and policymakers from ever allowing nuclear energy in the United States. I mean, that's who, that's where the blame I and mean, If you actually wanted a... Uh, clean, so-called clean energy, you would be all nuclear. Europeans get this, particularly France. And instead, in the United States, we are just hampered, uh, and gridlocked on Capitol Hill. And that's one of the biggest telltale signs that they don't really care about the climate. But of course, you know, the reason the title is called Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think is because even A, even if we face the climate catastrophe, the Green New Deal would have no impact. B, the Green New Deal is not about climate, energy, and environment. It's about being a essentially a Trojan horse for a whole set of other issues. And C, the COVID lockdowns have empowered the climate activists to essentially seek to piggyback themselves on COVID now. And now they're saying that climate is going to cause a lot. Unchecked climate change will cause many more viruses. And But guess what? The solution to viruses is the same as the solution Climate, which is essentially government lockdowns, planned recessions, and crushing of private enterprise.
3: What's the ultimate aim of the Green New Deal?
1: The ultimate aim of the Green New Deal, literally, and I go through the book chapter after chapter, I go back to the 1960s. The modern progressive environmental movement seeks one thing, and that is power. That is reshaping American vision. To literally have government bureaucrats and central planners control every aspect of your life. And I, I bring this up again. The lockdowns were the ultimate vision. I have a whole chapter of environmental activists from Al Gore to John Kerry to Greta Thunberg to U.N. officials all praising the lockdowns as exactly the kind of solution wow. we needed wow. for climate. And so, All right. Thing- hold it
3: there. Hold it there. I want to tell everybody about your book before the break, Green Fraud. Mark Morano, about the Green New Deal. What did I write last year, early on? This is a dress rehearsal for a police state. That was the name of my column. I hate... I was going to say, I hate being vindicated. Oddly enough. Returning to Mark Morano in a moment about the Green New Deal, I just do want to remind you, I'm speaking with Mark Murano, who is the head of ClimateDepot.com, D-E-P-O-T, of course, and has written another important book, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. We ended with what I think is the most important question. What do they really seek with the Green New Deal? So go ahead.
1: Well, what they're trying to do is convince the world, particularly America, that we face a climate emergency. And actually now, multiple senators, including Chuck Schumer and others, have urged Biden to declare a national climate emergency, which would give him similar emergency powers, potentially, like governors have had. And under this climate emergency, they're already talking about being only it's only morally justifiable to fly. You can only fly when it's morally justifiable. In France, under their climate emergency proposal, they're going to ban short, tall flights. Um, They're talking about a reset of our diet. They're going after meat eating. They're going to be promoting these vegetable-based processed burgers. They're going to be promoting insect eating and are promoting that. They're going after single-family home ownership. We had Andrew Yang running for uh, president of Democrats. He was proposing the banning of private automobile ownership and instead Offering people roving fleet of electric cars, uh, we're seeing every aspect of your life—from your your home thermometer to your uh, appliances, to your backyard barbecue, to how you travel, to your energy use—monitored, controlled, and ultimately, they're going to by controlling the uh, energy grid, they're going to raise all of our prices dramatically to try to achieve this net zero vision of the future, which is essentially like an old Soviet plan where it's essentially stifling out all productivity and you're going to be working to meet bureaucratic, arbitrary bre- uh, measures. This is a vision of life under the Green New Deal. And of course, the I also go into the World Economic Forum in this, who calls it the Great Reset. But essentially, their philosophy is they want to use the, the uh, COVID to have a great reset of capitalism. And then, of course, it would be climate friendly after that. So there's a whole bunch of powerful forces at play here trying to use the, the, uh, COVID-19 as a, as a springboard to then use the Green New Deal to essentially reset global capitalism, which, in, which, which to answer your question directly is a transfer of power from the people to the government. And that's what the lockdowns essentially did on the greatest transfers of wealth from poor and middle class to the wealthy, the billionaire class. And that's ultimately the Green New Deal's plan is to have every aspect of your life regulated by government bureaucratic plans because we can't be left to our own choices, A, we're not experts, and B, the Earth can't handle it. That's what we're facing.
3: I don't know if you realize, you came out with a comment, you probably make it often, but it is a brilliant synopsis of everything transfer power from the individual to the government have you said those words before Uh, yes
1: i mean i think that's ultimately the heart you we are no longer allowed to make decisions for ourselves and i'll give you the example of covid19 you can't Plan a backyard barbecue. If there's too many people, your neighbors right. rewards for sniffing right. on you. And yes. then you can have your utilities cut off. You can't have weddings, funerals. Right. You have curfews. You can't leave the house unless you justify to a government official that it was essential services. This is what we're facing. This is what was praised by the Green New Deal advocates. This is the frightening reality of what we're facing.
3: That's why they don't want nuclear power. It doesn't transfer power to the state. They can't regulate so your attendants. thermostat. Uh, with uh, with nuclear power, it's a, all of this becomes irrelevant. This is incredibly important. That's why they loathe, they they say they loathe individualism. What does that mean? It means that the individual is more important than the state, which is what the American founding was about. That's why they hate America, because mm-hmm. it stands for the individual, not the state.
1: And the idea is it's ruled by experts, ultimately, and think of the lockdown, think of, you know, even climate issues. These are they present these experts, whether it's Fauci, whether it's, you know, some U.N. scientist. And they've studied the issue for decades. Who are you, the average American, who doesn't have a Ph.D. in either climatology or epidemiology? How can you question these words? They've studied it. These are academics. They're doing what's best for you. It's for your own safety. How dare you question it? This is for your children's safety. That you, you do all, The story. regulations come in, and this is how they, this is how they present it. And uh, that's the idea. It's ruled by expert, ruled by government official, and the people, we're going to be left crushed by this and here's the biggest thing there's no for the climate emergency which i go in great detail of how they're trying to present this in the book there's no criteria by which they say okay we've solved the problem now we can allow you know a throttling back of government here there is no criteria for that in fact it's vague and endless and once they get started it's just the regulations keep going in the uk they proposed a co2 card for every man woman and child where the government would monitor your your home energy use, your travel, you would have, you know, if you exceed your CO2, you, your energy budget, you uh, pay fines and money. If you're under it, you get some kind of credit. This is a, you know, yes. a brave new world, so to speak, That's of right we're entering. The
3: book is Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. Mark Morano, up at DennisPrager.com. The Dennis Prager Show. got all about the library is another clear-headed American who's a fighter, Mark Murano. Tell us about ClimateDepot.com. Is Mark there? Yes. Hello. Okay. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep.
1: Hi. Yeah, Climate Depot. I try to call the most important daily news of climate, energy, and environment there today. In fact, my uh, headline at Climate Depot today is an ecologist, Alan Savory, who talks about the fallacy of peer review and the idea of consensus. And he says people – he takes young academics out in the field, and with their own eyes, they don't believe anything they see out in the field unless it was in a peer-reviewed paper. And basically the peer-review process has become power review of people – Literally citing each other's work in that's academia, right. but not actually right. going out and doing the field work. Well, so it's a
3: whole corruption of science. That's correct. As I have pointed out, everything the left touches, it ruins, and now it is science. I don't know what's left, actually, but that is, uh, that is exactly right. Well,
1: the, I have a whole chapter in the book on the identity politics invades the climate debate. We have NASA's lead si- climate scientist now saying that white supremacy is causing global warming. Al Gore is getting involved, claiming the same thing, that white supremacy must be solved. We have professors now coming out and saying data is racist. You can't trust the data because it was racist. We have in Africa, we have people talking talking about the white man science versus, you know, I guess black man science. I mean, this is corrupted science beyond what, what people could even realize. And I devote a whole chapter in Green Fraud to that.
3: Yeah, look, it's funny, because I've always suspected gravity w- was racist. I, 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 it's an amazing thing, <laughs> and now I feel vindicated. This is the sickness of the world we live in. Where do you live?
1: I live in uh, the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C.
3: And is Climate Depot your full-time occupation right now?
1: Uh, climate Depot is, as well as uh, book writing, and we also did a movie, Climate Hustle 2, which came out last fall, originally scheduled for almost 700 theaters. but So, yes, climate, energy, and environment is my full-time job. Well,
3: I, I am delighted to make your acquaintance. You, uh, you you, know what you're talking about. You have insight in your fighting. By the way, have you ever analyzed your last name? Uh,
1: it's Italian heritage. I'm 100% Italian, so I'm uh,
3: because Murano was the, you know, Morano was the name of Jews who hid their Judaism to act like Catholics in in, in Spain. Are you aware of that? Yes, it's a lost yes,
1: a lost tribe I believe of Israel uh, it was one of the Morano tribes. Yes,
3: fascinating. So
1: it's possible that I have some Jewish influence.
3: Yeah, no, no, I, it doesn't matter to me. I just thought it was fascinating. You do you do great work. I'm a big uh, big fan of yours. Green Fraud, the book is up at DennisPrager.com and visit ClimateDepot.com.